You know, we all grow up being influenced, and um, that influence uh, really isn't by our choice. We can't help but to be influenced by other people. I've even noticed in my own parenting um, ways that my my own mother influenced me growing up. Um, Even in the things, the words that fly out of my mouth uh, toward my own children, things that I've never consciously thought about saying to anybody, but in the moment, it is the right thing to say to my child. uh, And it's surprising to me at times. Because it's what my mother often would say to me. And so many different expressions, but the one that comes most frequently, probably because I didn't know how to control my tongue when I was young, but it's this expression that you probably know quite well. If you can't say something nice, don't say don't say anything at all. And I remember the first time with my own children and in my parenting that flew out of my mouth. I said, whoa! I have not thought about that phrase in probably three decades. It was amazing, but it stuck, right? Our parents and people around us as we grow up, they, they imprint upon us things that, that we carry with us through the rest of our lives. And, and phrasing and things are, are just one of the things. It's interesting to, to study language and, and how language changes, especially in a culture and in a world like ours where technology is so prevalent and how frequently words change and how frequently words change meanings. And sometimes you say a word and it actually means just the opposite, right? I remember growing up and, I don't know, well, just things like you say, oh, that's bad. But, of course, you didn't mean bad. You meant that's really good. And, and it just causes all sorts of confusion. But these things begin to flow out of us because they're imprinted in us. We're influenced and shaped by the people around us. And I know uh, those of you who are parents and have caught yourself saying similar things. I, I remember playing baseball growing up. And, you know, the thing I wanted to do so much was to imitate the professional ball players I would see on TV. And so I'd step into the batter's box. You know, the first thing I would do, I would start digging in, and then I would spit. (laughs) So I wanted to be just like that professional baseball player. Sometimes I would even kiss my bat. Now, these were shared bats, and I probably wouldn't do that anymore. But uh, other grubby little hands like mine had touched that bat, and who knows what sort of uh, germs I got. But I didn't care. It didn't matter. We are influenced in so many different ways, not just as children, but as adults. And then as adults, we, we get the joy of learning, at least being reminded of, of the great responsibility that we have to influence those younger than us, or to influence not always in age, but those who are younger spiritually than us, and the opportunity that God presents to us to influence another generation or future generations. The Scripture even helps us to see life, not not always forward, well, I guess forward, but by looking through the lens of generations. In fact, it tells us not just to envision our children growing up, but what would it mean for our grandchildren? And how do we as a church come beside and see and envision a second and a third generation behind us growing up in faith and being shaped to love the Lord and encouraged to do that and being provided godly examples to follow and giving our children and our young lives among us that God has entrusted to us as a faith community and giving them good teaching because those really are the two two primary things that that shape influence for those who are younger. Billy Graham in in his book uh, titled Coming Home, it's, it's his sort of 
one of his last books he ever wrote, uh, but it was about uh, the importance of aging and, and how God continues to work in our lives through aging. And he has a chapter in there about uh, the next generation. And, and he describes the, the two important qualities uh, of a, uh, someone who's older, not just an older person, but somebody who's older and, and giving uh, an influence to those who are younger. And he says it's good teaching and good examples. And it's, it's really not changed in the history of the world. These are the two critical elements of providing influence for those who are younger than us, is good teaching and providing good examples. Last Sunday, we focused on parents and um, the, the important role that God desires in the shaping of a home and through Christian parents in giving children this good teaching and good demonstration of living out the gospel. And today we're focused on the church and not just parents, but also partners with parents in the faith community, the extended faith community and how God wants to work and does work through us. In our church covenant, there's an expression where we we say together that, that we, with the help of God's Spirit, we endeavor to bring up those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here's the phrase again, that we endeavor to bring up those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And who has God appointed with that responsibility? Certainly it's parents, but it's also partners with parents in the, the church, in the fellowship of God's gathered community. And so we're going to spend some time thinking about that today. First, I want you to, to think with me about Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, a well-known passage. Uh, Deuteronomy is uh, given as a retelling, a resharing of the law when the Israelites were coming out of captivity in Egypt and they head out into their new life. And what does it mean now to have a relationship with God that is meaningful and has some shape that, that God gives to the relationship? We don't just make up what it means to relate to God in any way that I think should be or feels good. It's We, we let God lead the way in giving shape to how we are to relate. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it comes right after... The writer uh, gives the, the picture in Deuteronomy 5 of the giving of the Ten Commandments and the gathered community of Israel is gathered around Mount Sinai and, and in the shadow of that mountain and having now received the Ten Commandments, this is the instruction given. And often it's preached and taught and, and it's right to do so, that this is a teaching to parents. And that's right. But it's also a teaching for the faith community. Because here around Mount Sinai, with the Ten Commandments in hand, given by God, the entire community gathered there. Adults, even adults who aren't parents, grandparents, parents, all adults now are given this message. And they are to train up their children. It says, to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and to love uh, and to teach up your children, train them up to learn to fear and love God as well. And then he goes on to give certain tangible ways of how that can happen. But it's the entire community, the faith community that's gathered there and entrusted with this most holy of responsibilities, the joy of training up children in our faith community to teach them to love the Lord. If you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, 
We're going to spend a little moment here. Ephesians chapter 4. And there are a couple of verses that I want to center upon, and then we're going to talk about sort of the context out of which they emerge. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. So from the beginning, back in Deuteronomy, when God is giving shape to what it means to be a worship-filled community, one of the important and critical tasks is for a body of believers, a faith community, a church even, by extension, to be dedicated to the development and the nurturing and the training up of our children. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, we looked at last week, talks specifically to parents about their um, important role, their um, irreplaceable role in the life of a child, but we're also instructed in what a faith community is to be about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Here are a couple of verses. It says, You, talking to believers in the church, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. We're going to talk about that way in a moment. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, I pray this morning in the moments that we have left that You, Holy Spirit, would be at work in Your Word, through Your Word, that uh, my words would not be heard, but Your Word would be and held and embraced and enjoyed, that we may profit from what You say to us in the way that we obey You. Help us now, we pray, Jesus, in Your name and for Your sake. Amen into the community of faith, there, there's a description here, a, a tagline that describes how these people came to know Christ. Literally, it, it describes how you came to learn Jesus. For those of you who've grown up in the church, do you give much thought to how you learned Jesus? It's an interesting thought because some of it is very intentional and very formal. Some of the learning about Jesus, if, if we've had the privilege of growing up in a church community, is, is so much of it is informal. So much of it is, is caught rather than taught, right? We become like Velcro people where things just kind of stick to us and sometimes we don't even know it or appreciate it until much later. Or we enter a, a season of crisis in our life and suddenly uh, something that a word of the Lord that was planted in our hearts when we were very young comes to the surface. And, and as we walk through this immediate crisis, suddenly we, we find a newfound strength that we didn't know was in us because there's a, a verse perhaps that we memorize as a child that we begin to hold on to and we trust that even though the water around us may be choppy in that particular moment, suddenly we, we find great strength and confidence that even if things around us are shaking, that the Lord holds us through it all. And those often come because seeds of God have been planted deep in us. You, that the church and people in the church were learning Christ. And the learning in, in this time was not just about taking information like from a book and putting it in your brain. And if you've got the information, and if we handed out a pop quiz this morning, and I gave you a religion pop quiz, you know, learning Christ isn't about just being able to ace the pop quiz. 
Learning Christ is not just about being able to, to list out the difference between Wesleyan theology and Calvin theology. That, that's not what learning Christ is about. But you see, people in the New Testament, in that first century, second century world, were learning Christ, and they did it in the midst of community with one another. It wasn't just about taking a big picture full of information and pouring it into your cup. So that now your, your mind was full, but it had no translation into your life. That, that wouldn't be learning Christ for a first century Christian. Not at all. Learning Christ isn't what you can regurgitate on an exam. It's about the life that you live day after day after day in your family and at your workplace and in your neighborhood and with your grandchildren and with your grandparents and with your parents and with um, everybody around you. It's the life that you live demonstrates whether you are learning Christ. You see, in the context of chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul talks about what it is to live life, and we are encouraged to live like Jesus, and that life is different than the world around us. It just is. It's different in quality. It's different in focus. It's different in purpose. And he describes people who are not following Jesus in the immediate verses before this, and he describes them as, as hard-hearted People And hard-heartedness leads to a lack of understanding about the spiritual life that Jesus brings. And, and when we lack understanding about the spiritual life Jesus desires to deliver to us, then it puts us outside of the life of God. Paul makes that very plain and clear here in these early verses of chapter 4. It desensitizes the soul to the working of God's Spirit. And when the soul is desensitized, the only conclusion, the only, the only option for that life is to live for whatever makes them feel good in that moment. If I'm desensitized to God's Spirit in my life, the option I have ahead of me is to live for whatever makes me feel good at that moment because there's nothing bigger and nothing better to live for. That's the desensitized life. But Paul calls us to be sensitized to the work of the, the Lord. He says, not so with you. You did not come to learn Christ in that way. You were taught to take off your old life and to put on this new life, to live a different life. Things that are forged in the midst of a faith community. Those who are younger in faith look to those who are more mature in their faith, who have walked with Christ, and, and they see in you, or they have the opportunity to see in you, your faith at work, in the way that you handle stress, in the way that um, you deal with disappointment in your life, in the way that, that you encounter death around you, in, in your family perhaps, or a good friend, the way that you embrace the forgiveness of other people or seek out God's forgiveness or another person's forgiveness in something where perhaps you've misstepped. Those are the ways so many who are younger in faith are learning Christ. It's not just in the formal theology that they're taught in Bible study, but it's in the life that they observe in you and me. It's in the example that we are providing to them how we pray, how we give generously into the needs of God's work, how we choose to use our time, and what do we demonstrate and communicate, and the way we arrange our calendar individually or as a family that tells our children what's of most value to us. And we could go on and on with the list. 
Timothy is a great example. In 2 Timothy particularly, we, we see in Timothy, he was blessed with a birth family, especially with a mother and a grandmother who were diligent and focused on training Timothy up in the faith. They, uh, they took on this idea of what, what the Bible talks about, passing on the faith, and they took that seriously. And it was his mother who, as she would cradle him in her arms, she would also whisper the joy of the Lord over his life. A grandmother who invested into his spiritual formation. Timothy was also deeply encouraged by his spiritual family. The Apostle Paul would describe himself as a spiritual father. And Timothy certainly knew that. So for Timothy, he had the great blessing of having a birth family who nurtured him, but also the extended church family that nurtured his life and developed him and provided examples for how to live a life in Christ, a life of faith and growth and one that was ministering in the midst of difficulty. It was so wonderful. Go back and read Second Timothy this week. And hear how the way Paul describes how he was reminded of this genuine faith that resided in Timothy, that same faith that first resided in his grandmother and his mother. That's why in a church like this, we, we've made some choices to, to try to do things worship-wise on a Sunday and with Sunday school and Bible study. And that's not just because it's an old-fashioned sort of structure. And I want to spend a little little minute here with you kind of describing why, um, you know, there, there are kind of three types of churches I, I've discovered in the world and the way that they deal with worship with younger lives, younger children. Some, uh, some will structure everything in the church where there's no age division ever. So everything you do is together all the time. It could be a 90-year-old and a 9-month-old, but there's never any age segmentation at all. And they have certain reasons for that. Then you have churches on the other end where they segment everything all the time. Where you have very little integration or interaction between adults and youth or children or preschoolers. Everything is segmented and there's almost and, and they fight and struggle against finding ways and creating ways for generations to be connected. And when I look out over your beautiful faces... Are you ready for some coffee? There's going to be coffee after this service. Are you ready for that? I hope you can stay for a few minutes. But when I look out at you, I see a lot of different faces, a lot of different ages, a lot of different places of life. And I think that's a gift for a congregation like this. And churches make choices about when they, they welcome children into the worship service. And we've chosen at about first grade. It's kind of young. And it can be challenging for parents, right? It's easy for me to say that because I'm up here. Poor Susan's been uh, out there. But I, I know that it can be challenging at times. You have a little purple insert. I want to just draw your attention to it. We're not going to read it, but this is just um, uh, part of a summary from a book called Parenting in the Pew. And it gives some helpful tips to encourage parents or grandparents this morning about the joy and opportunity about being worship coaches for your children and seeing worship perhaps differently. If you're reluctant to bring kids in because you're afraid of the noise that they're going to make or the disruption they're going to make, I, I want to encourage all of us to be reminded that, that children should be welcome here, welcome in this space together with us adults. And they're going to make some noise, aren't they? 
They're going to, and it's okay. And, and I know we all approach that differently. We have different temperaments toward it and different levels of patience. I get that. But I want to encourage us to be patient with our kids. And I want to encourage parents. I'd love to create increasingly an environment that's not disruptive for others, but, but increasingly it helps parents know that as a worship coach, I might need to whisper to my child, when they ask me a question, I say, that is such a great question. If they can write, invite them to write it down and we'll talk about it after church today. So you can engage the question in the moment when the Lord's Supper is being passed out and the opportunity to talk about the bread and the cup come up and, and you don't think your child's ready to participate in that yet. Um, and you can say, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this later this afternoon. I'd love to talk more with you. And, and being able to say, you know, we'll lean over when you're singing a song. Uh, one of my grandmother's favorite songs was In the Garden. And every time we sing that song, I can't help but to think of Grandma Regina. And uh, I love thinking about her, and, and she loved that song. I, I come to the garden alone, and uh, describes uh, meeting with the Lord and hearing the gentle voice of Him on his ear, her ears. And, and she used to love that song. And, and when we sing it here, and, and I have the opportunity to be with my kids, I love to lean over and say, this was your grandmother's favorite song. Because it's important for a child to see if they have the blessing of faith generations in their life, it's so important for them to know that. And it's important for parents to be able, I think, to be able to communicate with their child in that moment. Not overly disruptive, but welcoming at times the disruption that children bring because it's so important in the life of a child. It's so important for a six-year-old to look up and to see his mom singing. It's so important for a seven-year-old to, to look and watch his dad closing his eyes and his lips moving in this, this wild thing called prayer and wondering what the mystery is and how my dad is part of this community. I still remember, as I've reflected on my childhood, I grew up in a church where, where we would take part of the service every Sunday and it was just set aside. It was called open worship and people could stand up and they could share testimony or request a song. It was really great. But I remember as an adult reflecting back on my childhood Learning, I didn't realize this until I was an adult, but realizing that somewhere in my faith development, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and I went to a church, it was about 30 people, if that, every Sunday. And I remember one day I kind of looked around and I looked at all these people and I said, wow, this belief in Jesus and this centering your life on the person of Christ, it, it's meaningful to people more than my mom. And more than my brother. And I began to look at Merle and Mrs. Kinzer and, and other people. And I began to say, wow, there are so many other people that, that, that engage in this faith. And that wouldn't have happened, I don't think, for me in the same way had I not been plunged into an adult worship service week in, week out. And I'll tell you, there are times, too, when, when children are doodling and drawing and, and we think they're bored out of their minds, and they might be. <laughs> but that's okay sometimes, too. Because I get reports almost monthly from parents who describe to me how uh, maybe I'm, I'm mentioning an expression and they'll complete my sentence. I mean, the child is sitting there drawing something and all of a sudden under their breath they finish the verse that's being quoted. You, you think kids aren't listening even though they look bored? Or if they're engaged some other way, tactile, they're listening and they're absorbing and it's making an impression even if we can't tell. And so I think... I, for one, think it's important that we continue to have a faith and a worship community that welcomes children into it because it's important for the child, but it's also important for us who are older 
Because we remember what it is when a child comes up and shares about uh, camp or we see a child being baptized. It helps draw us back into what, what is it as adults to walk in a childlike faith. Not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. So I just commend this, uh, this little uh, write-up to you. There's a lot more that could and should be said about uh, the important role for a parent or if you have children with you and how you can approach worship. In fact, there are four copies of this book on the table as you exit. They're free to you if you want to take them. Uh, I commend you uh, to read it. But we also, in addition to having the opportunity as a church to welcome generations together week after week after week, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, being here to worship together. We, we also then have an opportunity for age-appropriate teaching. That's why we have Sunday school and Bible study where adults can gather together and be with other adults and to talk about adult things. And children, you know, a six-year-old can be in her Sunday school class with other six-year-olds and dealing with things of faith at a level that's appropriate for her. A four-year-old can be in a, a preschool class dealing with things that are appropriate for him. And then we have time together as a larger, extended, generational worship community. So we try to do both. So some churches have nothing seg- segmented. It's everything all the time is together, no matter how old you are. Other churches, it seems like everything is segmented all the time, and there's hardly ever any integration We try to kind of be somewhere in the middle where we can do both. And we think over the course of a child's life as they grow up and enter into their adult life, the likelihood of them taking on an adult faith increases exponentially. And study after study after study are beginning to reveal this, that that those children who grow up 18, 19, 20, if they go off to college or into their work life, the more substantial adult Christian relationships they have as they are growing up, the, the greater likelihood they will have of having embraced the the faith for themselves and to exercise and walk in it. So that's the joy we have. We uh, Just so you know too, and I'm about to be done, just so you know, for the last three years, our elementary age kids, kindergarten through fifth grade, have been going through uh, a curriculum called the Gospel Project, and it's intended to be three years. And in that three-year time, they get a chronological view of what God has done from creation all the way to the church beginning in, in Acts after Jesus went back to be uh, with the Lord. Um, our preschool ministry continues little by little to increase and grow. We are uh, anticipating the ad- addition of our four-year-old class this fall. Um, so part of the reason that we've endeavor to do this with our young kids as, as they transition then into youth ministry. If they have a good sense of the Scripture, and Scripture has been sown into their life as they then turn 12, 13, 14, and beyond, and they begin to be faced with more adult decisions, and as their autonomy and independence increases as they move toward adulthood, our hope is that they will have a deep reservoir of scriptural knowledge to draw out of, to help give shape to those decisions. And then we're hopeful that increasingly so, we'll have more adults gathered around these children to participate in those ministries. I just want to ask, if you're involved in preschool ministry or children's ministry, anything from from birth all the way up through fifth grade, would you stand for a moment? Because we, I just want to see you. Can you stand? In any way, could be camp, could be Sunday school, could be Wednesday nights.
Thank you. Thank you. We also have a youth ministry, and uh, they've been doing a lot of things over the last couple of years. One of the goals that they have on Sunday mornings is also going through a chronological view of the Scripture, a curriculum called Echo, right? Echo the story. And so they're similarly learning the, the whole big picture of what God has done from creation all the way up until the 21st century world. And it is so important, missionaries have found around the world how important storying the gospel message is and seeing not just the life of Jesus, but how Jesus' life fits into the entire big picture of what God has done throughout history and around the world. And that is so important. And I want to invite, if you're part of our youth ministry, would you stand? If you've been involved with Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. Dan's here, 30 years been serving. Thank you. Thank you. I I want you to know that... um, there are opportunities for you increasingly to be involved with our children and our youth. I want to encourage you on Sunday mornings when you see a child to learn how to have the courage to talk with them, even if they don't seem interested in talking to you. Make it your goal to say hello to them and call them by name. If you don't know them, get to know their parents first and let the child be comfortable with you, but it's so important week after week when children come into this space that, that they learn to recognize and, and have at least a, a hello and name relationship with other adults because increasingly in our world, especially in this area, children don't have the opportunity consistently to be with generations that are older than them. And I think that is so important in their life growing up. So say hello. And make, it, make that a, just a humble, simple goal. I want you to know there are always opportunities to serve in our children's ministry or our youth ministry, Sunday mornings particularly. And I want you to know if, if you want to express to Monica or to Chris that you would like to learn more about that, you're, you're not going to fold you in and you're committed for the next two decades of your life. I, I, want, to put, <laughs> I want to put you at ease. But it is so important that if you feel God would stir you to to give yourself in this upcoming school year, perhaps, in some way, into the life of our youth or our children, there are opportunities for you to do that. You could help with the Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. We're beginning this fall an Awana program that's going to be, I think, from four years old. Four years old, all the way up through high school. And it's going to be on Wednesday nights, and we're working on our schedule for Wednesday night, but we feel it's so important for us to be a church that gathers around our children. And I want you to know it's, it's more than just a program. One of the things that, that real, honestly excites me the most about thinking about Awana, uh, really there's two things. One is it's really, uh, Scripture memory is really a big part of it. And that's so important in the life of a child or a youth or student. And number two is it gives an opportunity week after week after week for other and older adults to be engaged in the life of a child. Really, it's minimal commitment, I promise. (laughs) It's minimal commitment other than just being available in a regular way on a Wednesday night. But to be able to begin over time to build relationships with some of the kids in our church, with some of their parents... And to let those kids, most importantly, build a relationship with you. Because they need more than just the the teaching that's going to happen in Awana on Wednesday. You know what they need? Perhaps more than that, at least equally so. I want to be careful what I'm saying. (laughs) They certainly need good teaching, but they need 
good examples of how to live that teaching out. They need relationships with you. And so I want to invite you, we're going to start this up in September, to be in prayer about how God might might allow you the ability to do that. Um, Wednesday nights, we're hopeful that you might give an opportunity to do that. We know that time is so so hard. Um, I, I did a little, a little summary this week. Uh, every week, we have about 112 waking hours. 112, that's assuming eight hours of sleep. How many of you get eight hours every night? Eight good hours of sleep. I see one hand. He's Swiss, so I don't really believe him. They don't know how to keep time. So, so if, if we slept eight hours a day, that would give us 112 waking hours every week. And how many of those are given to the training and shaping of your own life spiritually or being part of training and shaping the life of a child or a student in middle school or high school? Just think about it this week. Because there's so many things and so many good things that we give ourselves to. But I want to invite you to just examine your time. I, I try to do this pretty regularly throughout the year. Asking myself, not that I'm perfect, but I'm just saying it's a struggle for all of us. Um, And so think about what it is to be uh, not just at church, but with the church. Participants together as the church. Not just coming to church or being part of a program, but actually you being the program together. Giving your life and living an example and just living your life together with others. I'm going to be done. The coffee's still hot. My hope and prayer is that we as a church would continue to be... I was so blessed when I first arrived here to know that this is a church that loves kids and has given and invested for generations into children and youth ministry. And I want to see that not just continue, but I hope that it will deepen and expand and that the youth and children around this county would know what it is to be encountered by Jesus and encountered by the good message of the gospel and to have the opportunity to be participants plugged in to a community like this so that they can see Jesus in you. They need good teaching, but they also need good examples. And good examples demand a little time. And so this school year, would you pray about how you might be able to participate in these ministries? Not just because we need warm bodies. I'll tell you, we do not need more warm bodies. We need people who would give themselves to the Lord and desire to be a vessel of God into the life of a child. Not perfect, but seeking to demonstrate this is how I am living in relationship with God. Father, we pray today that you would help us in these things. We, we thank you for the opportunity and the, the really ho- the holy trust that you've given us with children and youth, the, uh, the moments where we can share with them, sometimes even in our failures, can be the most important moments of example, the way that we seek your forgiveness or recovery or healing, the way that they see you at work in that. God, we, we don't come as perfectly clean adults. We don't come as adults without warts and scars and bruises. No, 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 no. We bring all of that with us, yet we come as people desiring to have you work through us into the lives of our young people because they need good teaching, but they also need good examples. 
And so if there are hearts today, you would be pleased, God, to stir and to call into these ministries. May these hearts not be hardened toward that calling. May they not be dismissive of that stirring. But may they be faithful to check in with Monica or with Chris and to inquire how they can perhaps be a significant part of these ministries in the school year to come. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are a a lover of children. You've taught us how to love and respect and honor kids in our lives and in our midst. Help us to be a church that continually does that and does it even better in the years to come, we pray now. In your name, amen. We have a final song we would like to sing together. If there's any decision that you would like to make or need to make before the church this morning, perhaps uh, begin a conversation about membership. Maybe you want to know what it is to have Jesus as a firm foundation for all of your living, like we've sung so well about today. Any, Any other decision or conversation you'd like to begin, I'll be standing here at the front, happy to meet with you. Would you please stand and find your music sheet and let's sing together.